I count myself in nothing else so happy as in a soul remembering my good friends. William Shakespeare. You want to fight? We'll give you a fight. Welcome to Fightcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Fightcast. Now, if you're an astute listener, you may have noticed that your your host today sounds a little less muscular and handsome than your normal host, and that's okay. My name is actually Jacob Gulliver. I'm not David Elwin. I am the host of the Movie Machine podcast, which I co-created with Kyle Decker and Ben Lifson, and I'm also one of the creative directors at Hot Chocolate Media, which is the fine company that produces this podcast. So we actually did a switcheroo. We were going to try and promote each other's podcasts because we both had a, a neat idea to do this, and we thought it would be kind of fun to uh, see what we could come up with. So I'm hosting Fightcast today, and I'm going to be interviewing somebody I've been meaning to interview for a long time. I think he's got some pretty interesting stuff to talk about. Uh, his name is Mike Seaborn, and I've worked with him for the past year and a half or so. Um, he has kind of a storied history with martial arts. So welcome, Mike. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this with us. Oh, thanks for having me, Jacob. I appreciate it. So tell me, how did you initially get involved with martial arts? Well, good story, actually. I'm sure it kind of mirrors what a lot of people were. I mean, I was a fat kid growing up, so... Of course, I started off in Taekwondo, a little town called Greencastle, Indiana, and kind of laid off of it after that. But after I joined the military, I went over to Japan back in 1992, and it, I kind of got into what was called uh, shoot fighting, which was basically MMA before MMA was MMA in America, right? There's a place in uh, Kanazawa Hake called Shoot Jim Hake, where I used to train under Incident Away, who... I don't know if you know who that is, but he's a pretty big pride fighter. He was in UFC okay. 13. Really, right. really good fight. He's actually Hawaiian, though, which is which is funny. He's not okay. Japanese. But I remember, I mean, side story, I remember going to his first fight. Um, or not first fight. First fight I saw him in, and he was actually fighting some German guy, and everyone was chanting USA, USA for the German guy. And he's like, hey, assholes. I'm, excuse me. He's like, <laughs> no, I'm, it's okay. I'm he's like, I'm American. You know, assholes. Like, <laughs> they're thinking he was Japanese, and the German guy was American. It was funny. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Ensign, great guy. Uh, trained under him, Rumina Sato, um, Hayato Sakurai, Mach Sakurai, and, yeah. um, and under Sakuraba as well, which is known as the yeah. Gracie Killer. Okay. Um, Shoot is a, a Japanese style originally. It is. It's kind of, they were the first to combine. I mean, if you remember the old, the original um, UFCs, they had Ken Shamrock on there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Ken was like the, he was the Shuto. It was um, in Japan, they did the combination of kickboxing, boxing, and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Judo all in one class. It was, a, it was a very serious gym I went to. It was all professional fighters in the gym. We would go four hours a night, six days a week. And, wow. you know, I'd take the train an hour and a half one way, and and I would take the train, you know, bruised, bloodied, beaten an hour and a half, <laughs> an hour and a half back to get back yeah. to my barracks, you know. It, it, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Got a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu there from Ensign. Got to where I, I had a couple professional fights, and the Navy kind of made me stop doing it because I got hurt really bad. Sure. And um, then I kind of gained a whole lot of weight because I had um, got married, had a kid. And uh, got into the obese style of uh, of living over there because just the hours I was sure. working was insane. My preferred style of it. There you go. <laughs> it's a lot more fun. <laughs> 
I'd rather be be fat and happy than skinny and miserable. Right? I think. I'm telling so. you, man, a six pack's not <laughs> worth it. Yeah. It's, it's really Listening to your stories, I'm like, wow, this is really cool. And like, get to the bloody part. Oh, hang on a minute. Nope, nope. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna go it. for the buffalo wings instead. <laughs> so I I wanted to get back in shape, so I took up judo. And I got rid. I started going to the uh, Yamato Sports Kaigon because I was in Japan for like 18 years. Wow! And I was learning under uh, Master Watanabe San, who's a 16th degree black belt in judo. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, I think only three or four 16 degrees in, in all of Japan. And I kind of I got to black belt in judo really quick and kind of in a BS way because of my Brazilian Jiu Jitsu background. I couldn't throw people. I wasn't good at that at all. So I would let them throw me. As long as it's not a perfect throw, perfect throw, you know, ipun, you know, matches over, you lose. But if it's a halfway throw, you get a wazadi, it means the other guy gets a half point. And then mm-hmm. we go ground grappling. Yeah. Which I was really good at. So I right. would, I'd choke my guy out, you know, after, you know, 10 seconds rolling around the ground or I'd put him in an arm bar. There's no leg locks um, in judo. But yeah, I'd always win. And so I went from white to brown in like a month and a half. And then I went to black in another year and actually went through the got accepted to the Japanese Kodokan um, which is the Judo College and I, I was training out there because Master Watanabe was teaching there as well so getting to, to learn with those younger kids and, and those just absolute masters of the craft was really cool yeah so after after Judo I took a I was stationed and we went on a little TAD trip um, my, my squadron went over to Thailand for six months that's when I fell in love with Muay Thai. Um, I found me a, a Thailand Muay Thai camp there, mm-hmm. um, Team Kick, and I was going there for you know six days a week. I'd go there when I got off work, and and I was there just constantly and absolutely. I mean, everything else that I ever did, my my Brazilian Jiu Jitsu background, my Judo background, everything just fell off, and I fell in love with the style and the the grace, I'll say, of Muay Thai. Absolutely loved it. Then after my six months went back to Japan, my trainer, um, Crew Hiplong Fa from Thailand, actually came over to visit me, knocked up a girl, got her pregnant, opened a gym, and stayed there. Oh, so okay. I was able to continue. He opened a gym in Japan called Fly Sky Gym. It's in uh, Yamato, Japan. So if anybody ever heads over to Japan, um, dip in there to, to Fly Sky. That's a serious, serious Muay Thai gym in Japan. Tell them Mike sent you, and you'll get a couple lessons in there. You know, And so I was able to train under him for another eight years, and Went wow. on and did some did some fights under him as well. Yeah, did you initially end up in Japan because of the Navy, or kind of like the process for for how you ended up, you know, ending up there and then moving from place to place and learning these different styles? Well, I said I, I went through high school in a place called Greencastle, Indiana, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere. Then I was homeless for a little bit, kicked out at 16, so I went up to Gary, Indiana, which is basically the only place I could afford to live. Walking down the road at 17 years old with a buddy of mine, I got shot in the back accidentally by... Jeez. Oh, yeah. And um, then I kind of decided that I wanted to get as far away from Gary, Indiana as humanly possible. So... You know, life was at a dead end. Life was at a complete standstill. I'd just gotten out of jail, to be perfectly honest with you. And hair was, like, down on my butt, corn rolls. And, and I was like, you know what? Something needs to change. So joined the Navy on an absolute whim. I mean, spur of the moment. If I'd had another day to think about it, it never would have happened. My aunt rushed me down there really quick to take the test and put me in a hotel that day, gave me a physical the next day. Two days later, I was on a bus to Great Lakes. Wow. And then from Great Lakes... I was like, I really want to go to Japan. I studied Japanese in high school, which is kind of crazy. I never thought I'd actually use it. Right. But one of our instructor, or one of our instructors, one of our teachers that 
taught English, actually lived in Japan for like five years and was pretty good at the language. So she wanted to offer it as an extra. So I took it as a language class. And I went over to Japan and I absolutely fell in love with the place. And they had to force me out after 14 and a half years. (laughs) And then after four years in the States, I went back again for another four and a half years. So I absolutely loved it over there. Were you into any of like the Japanese cultural things as a kid when you were studying it in school, or was it just kind of like, well, I guess this is more interesting than taking, you know, French or Spanish or whatever? That was it. I mean, I thought okay. it was more interesting than taking French or Spanish. You know, I'm just like, oh, I can cuss people out here, nobody will ever know what I'm saying. Right? <laughs> uh, never thought I'd actually use it, but I tell you yeah. what, it, it certainly helped out building that uh, foundation for the grammar, right? That right. You know, speaking it is one thing, you know, memorizing phrases, but when you can actually put sentences together, it it, it really helped out quite a bit. You know, it, it sounds like you've really got kind of a storied history with these different styles, and how would you compare training in each of these styles, um, as well as, like, what you got in the Navy? Gotcha. Well, in the Navy, to be perfectly honest with you, I was an office bitch, so I didn't get much training okay. in that, to be, <laughs> be perfectly honest with you. But cool story on the Navy. When we pulled out to sea, I can't remember what year it was, 97, 98, something like that, I had gotten a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. There was a guy who studied under one of the Gracies, Henzo, I want to say. Um, name was um, Santos. Oh, my gosh, I can't remember. We call everybody by last name, right? I can't mm-hmm. remember the last name or first name. He actually pinged me. When I say ping, of course, we didn't have Jabber or any kind of – we didn't have internet back then to be perfect now. Anyway, yeah. he found me. <laughs> and um, and he wanted to start a sport jiu-jitsu association team on the USS Kitty Hawk. Wow. And I used to go out there with my friends, and we'd have – there was a wrestling mat in the hangar bay. And every night, I'm like, hey, you know, next challenger, let's go. Biggest guys I could find. And I'm like – you know, try to make me tap out. Nearly, I, I remember making a NCAA wrestling champ tap out. Wow! Because, but it was he didn't have the. You know, it wasn't Brazilian Jiu Jitsu wasn't big then. This is ninety mm-hmm. seven. You know, it was big in Japan, but it wasn't that big in the states. You know, Hicks or my gosh, what's the Gracie name? Oh Lord, I feel stupid. Anyway, Gracie was killing everybody in UFC, right? And then. When people started to learn that MMA, you know, the combination of everything, that's when he kind of was like, eh, I'm not quite the dominating guy that I once was. So he kind of left the left the UFC there. But we started a team, and that team actually became All-Japan Regional Sports Jiu-Jitsu Champion. Wow. Um, which was really cool. I was a coach. Um, Santos was a coach. Or, so, side story on that. We used to work out with SEAL Team 6, and we were in Iraq. Um, they were on the boat, and I'd be like, "Hey, man, let's 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 go," because they'd be out there training. And so, one of those things where you just like feel like you're hanging out with like six Thors or whatever. No, actually, they're pretty skinny. Oh, really? Seal okay. Seal Team guys are, are pretty skinny. They look okay, the most unassuming. Yeah, yeah, super wiry. Yeah, they look the most unassuming people that you've ever seen. Yeah, it's really okay. crazy. A lot different than what it looks like in the movies. You know, um, very good guys, very unassuming. But the you know when you come to the talk about the different ways of training like 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 shoot fighting is kind of like you are training for a competition, mm-hmm. and it's like you box, you kickbox, you hit the bags, you shadow box, and then you move on to thirty minutes of judo, and then thirty minutes of technique and Brazilian jiu jitsu, and then for the last hour of class uh, you go for five minutes. If you make some guy tap out in thirty seconds, you go again. 
till the five minutes is up, you get 30 seconds break, you go to another partner, and you go again. You do that for an hour. So it's building up the cardio and the stamina, but that whole thing was meant to prepare you for a fight. Mm-hmm. Now, Muay Thai, Muay Thai is what I call a gentleman's fight, and I love it. And if you ever watch a Muay Thai match, an authentic, not an MMA Muay Thai match, because that drives me batshit crazy, <laughs> but a real you know, Muay Thai match in Thailand or something like that, it, it is a, it's a sport of gentlemen or, or women. You know, you look somebody in the face. You look them in the eye when you elbow them in the face, you know, and you split their head wide open. You know, I'll throw a shot. It, it's a flurry and calm, flurry and calm. And, you know, I'll throw a kick. I'll throw a shot. They'll throw a shot. You know, we kind of step back from each other. We, we make sure we're both ready and we go again. In Southern California, I was uh, teaching at Terry Sokaju, the African assassin. Um, he's okay. a big Bellator UFC fighter. And pride. He was big in pride over in Japan. But I was teaching his Muay Thai class at his gym. Wow. And he was confusing MMA Muay Thai with traditional Muay Thai, Muay Brand Muay Thai. And it just used to drive me nuts. Me and him used to get into it all the time. And I'm like, what style do you want? Do you want yeah. MMA or do you want Muay Thai? I will teach Muay Thai. You can teach MMA, yeah. whatever the hell you call it, but... But I teach very, you know, technique-driven, you know, art of the eight limb style Muay Thai, and that's, you know, there's a huge, huge stark contrast between the two. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the art of the eight limb refers to the elbows and knees, absolutely, being, being the the weapons as well as the feet. Oh, and hands, yes. correct. Yes, yes. sir. <laughs> okay, so yeah, for the, for those of you who are not in the know about Muay Thai, go go look that up, and I'm sure you'll be able to find uh, hundreds of videos on the internet, uh, as well as you know whatever channels you might go to for martial arts info. So I'm sure that living overseas kind of brought another level of experience into sort of the, the cultural nuances and, you know, the historical aspects of this. And one of the things that I, I really like about this show that we're doing is that we can kind of get into some of those, you know, how did this style develop? How did, you know, how was this used historically? And, you know, is there is there something that you would want to kind of touch on or, or you think people who are studying it in the U.S. should really know about these sorts of styles? Good question. Talking about, of course, MMA. I mean, MMA, is it got its start in, like, the early 90s, right? So there's not really too much of a historical ground on that. Of course, sure. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, there is. You know, you look at the, uh, the original Gracies, and, you know, it was about fighting people that had significant size, weight, strength advantages, or even weapons and being able to manipulate them from the ground and, you know, to incapacitate them. So you can either get up and get away or, you know, whatever. Muay Thai, Muay Thai in itself is a sport. It derives from Muay Baran, which is what the farmers used, right? But Muay Baran is the original, the old um, historical stuff. Muay Thai itself is actually the sport version of Muay Baran. So when you talk about I guess the historics of Muay Thai, there, other than you know fighting for competition, there really isn't much to it. Now, of course, honestly, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone in Thailand who does not know some Muay Thai. That's why you never kind of pick fights with, uh, with anybody on the corner. Um, that guy's selling roses on the corner or trying to get you to take a picture with his monkey. Don't, don't pick fights with him. I remember uh, being at a bar in Pattaya Beach, Thailand. And, of course, you go to these bars. There's always a Muay Thai ring in there. There's always guys fighting, and, and then they'll ask ask if anybody in the audience wants to join and of course there's this you know 200 I hear, you hear all the marines start going nuts and this 250 pound 
I'm not going to say jarhead, Marine, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stands <laughs> up and, and decides to he's going to jump in the ring. And, of course, all of the Navy guys are cheering him on because they know he's about to get his ass kicked by this, <laughs> by this 140-pound little tie guy who's just about to wail on him. Right, we're, right. We know because we ain't stupid enough to get in there. Right. Um, and it always happens, you know. But, I mean, that's how people make a living. I mean, that's how families are able to get up out of poverty is their children will start fighting professionally at six years old. My son has got 43 fights under his belt. Actually, he's 15 wow. years old. He's still living in Japan, um, training in fly, training in fly sky gym. He went to Thailand for six months back in April of last year. I'm trying to get him into Tiger Muay Thai. Uh, that's if I could have any place to uh, to send him, it'd be Tiger. What um, differentiates Tiger from the? Well, it's more of a, a kind of a newer Muay Thai gym, but they okay. take. I mean, they take the greatest trainers and fighters from around the world, and they go to Tiger to teach. So it's kind of um, like an international approach. Absolutely, to the style. yeah. Cool. I mean, that is like the Rolls Royce of Thai gyms is is Tiger Muay Thai, and you do something like you pay three thousand dollars, they put you up room and board for it's usually for two months. You train six days a week, twice a day, and on Sundays they take you on a tour. All your food's paid for, your lodging, your entertainment, and all your training. Wow. So if you ever have an opportunity to do that, and you're required, if I remember right. Back when I went there, but I didn't go to Tiger, of course, but you're required to have three amateur fights before you leave. So yeah, I'm not sure if Tiger does that, but that's the way it was when I was over there years ago. So that's really cool, too. Nothing to assuage those fears or kind of face them more um, than to jump in the ring with somebody. Like Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan to get punched to the face. And then you can kind of figure out what you're really made of, right? I mean, it's right. it's a pretty, pretty unique experience. Um, I don't have as much experience with MMA and, and shoot and Brazilian uh, Jiu-Jitsu so much, but I've I've seen a little bit of Muay Thai in terms of like the stage combat aspects. Participated in human combat chess, which David has also participated in, and we've done some kind of training over you know simple techniques. I know that there's a lot of techniques that had to be sort of modified for the show because we had a couple Muay Thai fights. Or, you know, people who were supposedly using this style, because it's all theater. We had to modify these techniques to make sure we were not actually hurting people, um, which, you know, of course is both good and bad because you're you're stepping away from the actual style a little bit, but we're also, you know, not trying to get hurt every night as well. Right, right. So, and one of the things that struck me about it is that there's, there's some really vicious attacks designed to kind of hit at the, you know, near the knee or the elbow to really incapacitate the limb. In a lot of ways, and I found that that aspect of it really fascinating for something that's um, you know designed as like a sport because that seems like you know a very hard you know when you leave the other person really damaged if you go too hard in yeah. that that sense. So I'm, I'm curious to know a little bit more about some of the the techniques involved, and not just in Muay Thai and any of these other ones. Do you have any like specific favorite techniques or specific attacks or defenses or even just like you know an exercise that you think is super beneficial or interesting absolutely absolutely i mean the power of and of course there's going to be people anybody whatever your discipline um take no offense at this i swear um but muay thai i believe has the strongest kicks in all the martial arts i mean it's because of the whipping action of the leg how you go up on the toes of the opposite leg when you step out and you're able to bring the hip over and just whip the leg as hard as you possibly can. Depending on the conditioning of your shins, you know, you can break two by fours, you can break baseball bats, 
My favorite technique, two of them. One, I learned from um, when I used to train in Japan, Hip Long Far, would, we had a, he would come on base and we'd do a class, and then I'd also go to his gym off base. But on base, I used to train a lot, and I'd partner up with the MWR director, whose name was Christopher Martin. Good Lord, I'm forgetting names. And this guy finished ninth place Mr. Olympia. Giant, giant bodybuilding guy. Mm-hmm. And he had legs like absolute tree trunk. But he was about five foot five. One of his favorite things to do is he would come up, act like he's going to go for a roundhouse kick. And when I would bring up my leg to block it, he would come up underneath and kick me on the inside of the knee of the opposite leg. Mm-hmm. And I, he caught me with that more times than I can possibly remember. And just the pain of, you know, right on the inside of yeah. that thigh on the massive calf muscles this guy had and I was like I'm going to use that and every time we would fight I'd have a fight I would use that move Yeah, I would I would go for a slow roundhouse three or four times right at the beginning of the match feel out my opponent and so my opponent would kind of try to telegraph what I was doing or think they're te- that I'm telegraphing what I'm doing and on that third or fourth or fifth one I would raise that leg up and as soon as he went to raise I would skip yeah. Come up underneath his leg and take out the inside of his his uh, his thigh muscle. Take out, you know, I don't want to take out the knee. Of course, you don't want to hurt somebody, but it happened more than once. I've, I've you know hit somebody in the knee then also. But that was always my favorite move, and I can honestly say I've had three knockouts because of leg kicks, which I'm sure. the most proud of. Yeah. Because I'm telling you what, the thigh is a that's a meaty muscle and it hurts like bloody hell. Yeah. Um, that's by far my favorite. And what I also did, which I kind of take a lot of pride in, is I put a little Brazilian jiu-jitsu in the Muay Thai clinch. So the Muay Thai clinch, you know, because knees and elbows are allowed, you clinch up and you can either throw your opponent, which they'll stop it, but you'll get a point, right? Stand them back up. Or you can, you know, elbow strikes and it's a really small space between you and your opponent. Or you can knee strikes to the rib cage, you know, straight up to a liver shot or something like that. And everyone is trying to get and swim and get the underneath technique so they can control the head. Because once you control the head, you control the rest of the body. I had a technique where I would allow them to take the inside. I would allow them to grab me back here. And once they did that, I was able to come over, swim over the top of their arm, push their face up, bring my other arm over. That way I've got them basically into a modified arm bar standing and they can't see what I'm doing. And from them, I mean, I could rain down knee strikes, I could rain down elbows, or I could just throw them. So I started doing that at Fly Sky, and I kind of came up with it myself. Then I, you know, I came back like three or four months later from his cruise, and I saw that Far was actually teaching that to the professional fighters, and I felt pretty proud about that. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a name for that technique? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I was curious if they decided to name it after you or something. Uh, like oh that. Lord, no. Yeah. He would never say that I came up with it. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take credit where credit is yeah. due, right? You had mentioned the, the strike where you go for the roundhouse kick and go for the beneath the leg. Mm-hmm. There's a really interesting psychological aspect to that, too, I think, because if, you, if you're able to land something like that consistently, it's also very demoralizing for the person who gets hit because they feel like, oh, I fell for that last hit, and then they start to kind of lose their concentration, and it's... It's one one notch towards that, you know, defeat. Yes. Of course, the blow is very painful, mm-hmm. but when you can pull a trick like that or a feint like that, then it's it works really well to slowly wear down an opponent. So I think that's yeah. really interesting. Absolutely. 
if somebody were interested in studying these sorts of styles or, you know, wanted to kind of begin a journey towards this, um, even for somebody who's never done any of this before, where would you tell people to start and what would you recommend for somebody? I would suggest, like, I, we're, when I lived in Southern California, there's a legit MMA gym or Muay Thai gym on every street corner. Every corner in Southern California was a gym. Um, I used to teach at Terry's Gym. good friend of mine, uh, Rolando Montoya, who's a professional fighter, he teaches out at uh, Carlsbad Kickboxing, which is like top five in the world of Muay Thai gyms. He's one of the trainers out there. Of course, you know, the best would be if you've got the money, head to Thailand and go for a camp. Not everybody can do that, right? Most people can't. But what you want to be careful of is, like, I just pure coincidence, I'm not going to say where we're at or the name of the gym or anything like that, but one of our one of the guys on our team sent me an email and was like, hey, there's a gym here. I really, I'm interested in going. It's a Muay Thai gym. MMA gym, um, what do you think? And I looked at the website, and three of the Muay Thai trainers, they've just been going to that gym for like five years. One of the Muay Thai trainers, like the head trainer, has like two fights amateur under his belt. So you really want authenticity. If you're going to learn something, you might as well learn from the best if you can. If you can't, you want to learn from quality. So really, really dig into those instructors and figure out where they're at what they've done, how many fights they've got under their belt, um, where did they learn from. That's a really important one, too. Because if you're learning Muay Thai from someone who's never been to Thailand or trained under a real Muay Thai crew, or crew means like, you know, instructor, then I wouldn't waste my time. So that's just my two cents there. But if you're in Southern California, you know, go a block and uh, and find something because I'm telling you what, it, they're everywhere over there. Yeah. What about if somebody was interested in, like, shoot, or if somebody wanted kind of what you'd experience in Navy training but wasn't necessarily planning on joining the Navy, what would you think? Krav Maga. Krav Maga. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Is that what Navy training mostly is? Or uh, is it? Uh, no, 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 no. That, <laughs> if you were going to go special yeah. forces, maybe, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah, but like I said, I, I worked on, I did logbooks in the Navy, so I can't even yeah. really brag that I did anything because I was just an office guy in the Navy. But if you wanted to learn like a, I mean, you've got Serbian, you know, martial art, uh, Israeli martial art, Philippine martial art. This, that's, a lot of that's done with weapons and in um in kind of a uh, real life, like life and death combat scenario type fight style. So Krav Maga would be awesome in that. If you were looking for to get into Shuto, I mean Shuto is now MMA, right? They, yeah. Actually, that's a lie. Shuto, Shuto is kickboxing. Shoot fighting is MMA. So you had Shuto over in Japan also. That's like the K1 fights. That's the that's basically the kickboxing. That's the Andy Hoogs and the Orlando Vitz and, and those guys. Shoot fighting is the MMA style. That's what I did. Shoot boxing, Shuto is the, the, the stand-up kickboxing. That's like the K1, K2, and, and stuff like that. But like I said, it, anywhere that has like a, like a UFC tap-out gym or a UFC gym, right? I think tap-out has a gym also. That's really where they're doing it now. Is And they usually, when they go to these places, they break them up. If anybody's in Southern California, Carlsbad, go check out my boy Alex Higley. Higley Fit Gym. Bad dude. Love the guy to death. I used to teach with him out of Terry's Gym, and he opened up his own gym, became a professional fighter following his dream. Shout out to Alex. Kicking ass. Please continue, brother. Fantastic job. But it all depends on where your location is. Study it. 
study the instructors. Um, if you're going to you know a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class and a blue belt's the highest ranking person they got there, you may want to go to faction Southern California second degree black belt Nick Stephson, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can give I can give shout outs all day long, right? Um, to these fantastic gyms in Southern California. I mean, they're all over the place. But just do your research on what the instructors are out there because that's that's really going to help out. And then of course I have to ask every single fighter and every military person I've ever had the pleasure of chatting with has some amazing stories. Is there any particular like great moments or stories that you want to share with the listeners? Well, I mean, I was in the Navy for 22 and a half years. I was overseas for 18. I can give you some crazy stories. Um, I believe it. But <laughs> I don't even know how crazy I want to get. I mean, ideally something involving some sort of fight or technique or... Sure. Um, something that might be interesting to the, the listeners of the podcast. Sure. Okay, I remember my first fight in Japan. My first MMA fight, right? I was training in uh, Kanazawa Hake. The owner of Kanazawa Hake is also the, I mean, is the manager for all the fighters. I guess you would say. Eh, for all of the lower-ranking fighters, right? Um, obviously, Ensign Inoue, Ruben Asato, they had their own guys. But this guy kind of would set up the fights for you. And so... I had gotten a bio on the guy that I was supposed to be fighting. It was supposed to be my first fight. And he's a very, very skilled ground fighter. So I focused quite a bit on my ground game. My stand-up game, I felt, was pretty strong. Ground game was not quite as strong as it probably should be because I hadn't started judo yet and I wasn't very good. I could fight on my back because I always end up to, seem to end up there, but that's not really what you want to do is fight from your back, right? So I got the bio on the guy. And I guess a couple, about 10 days before he was supposed to fight, um, he hyperextended his elbow training. So the fight's supposed to be called off because I don't have anyone to replace him. But my trainer just told him to throw somebody else in there. But he didn't tell me that somebody else was being thrown in there. So I'm coming to the ring. I was a little overweight. I mean, I cut weight down to get into... You know, the, the weight standards where I needed to be. And what's funny is in Japan, you weigh in the day of. Not two days prior or a day prior, you weigh in the day of. So cutting weight is kind of dangerous because you got to put the weight back on and refluid and rehydrate mm-hmm. yourself. But I was able to get down to weight. So I come to the ring and I'm like, yep, yeah, I know this guy inside and out. I'm, I'm just going to, he's a, you know, 170-pound Japanese guy. I'm about to just waylay this guy out. I'm not even going to go to the ground. And then all of a sudden, this brick-and-mortar Russian guy comes out, which I swear to God, he was chiseled out of straight stone. Yeah. And he comes in the ring, and I'm like, who the hell is this? And then my trainer's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I had to switch fighters. And and this guy was a straight ground and pound guy. And you can actually see, because of course it was recorded, you can see I had lost the fight, you know, before the fight even started. And we're, we're face to face with each other. He's the same weight as I am, but he's four inches shorter than me. But he's just solid muscle. He's looking me right in the face, and I can't even look him in the eye. I'm doing this, and I'm looking around, and you can tell that I'm just scared. You know, I really want to see this footage. Now. It's it, I've got it. I've got yeah. it. I swear. It's it's you know you can tell that I'm just scared shitless. And so the fight starts, and we go. You know, we feel each other out for about 20 seconds, and we both kick shin to shin as hard as we possibly can. And apparently, he had a Louisville Slugger sewn into his shin because he split my shin wide open. Oh, jeez. And it was almost like the uh, Anderson Silva injury, right? I mean, I came back. I landed on the leg. I put the leg down. I felt it. And then I went down to one knee. And while I was on one knee, he just roundhouse kicked me right across the side of the head. I was out for damn near 20 minutes. Wow. I came to in the back, and my brain had swelled 
which Ooh, affected wow. my vision. I could barely see out of one eye. I couldn't see out of the other eye. I could barely see out of one. Jeez. Speech was slurred. I had no idea where I yeah. was, what was going on. Funny thing is, I had invited my commanding officer, my executive officer, my <laughs> command master chief, because my CO had or my XO had called me into his office. He was like, "Hey, because I'd come in and work every once in a while with you know cuts or butterflies, you know, on my cheek or something like that, or a busted lip, or." And he's like, "Are you fighting?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting into it, sir." And he was like, "Oh, I'm really interested. Could you think I could come?" I was like, "Yeah." So I asked my trainer, and he was like, "Yeah, we'll send a bus down." <laughs> And you're, you know, we'll get everybody who wants to go. Oh, so my geez. entire chain of command is at this fight. And oh, that was man. when they came out. I told you at the beginning that they said I couldn't fight anymore. That was, you know, 10 seconds after the end of that match. Right. So I ended up with a compound fracture in my shin. TBI, I mean, traumatic brain injury, you would call it, right? A bad concussion and uh, ended my MMA career in Japan. Ouch. Yeah. So I took up judo. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fight anymore. Okay, I yeah. won't fight. I won't Using fight. Using that style. MMA. <laughs> I love it. That's pretty great. Uh, so then, of course, you've been all these different places, and you've had all these kind of wild experiences everywhere. How on earth did you end up in Minnesota? Oh, what a fantastic question. Never heard it before. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so when I retired from the Navy, I was, I was still in Japan. I was living in Japan. And um, the wife came back early. And so we were like, all right, well, whoever gets a better job, that's where we'll go. I was, you know, my family kind of, a lot of them live in Colorado, so I was expecting to go there and get a job. My wife emailed me about a week later. She was like, hey, I'm working for GE. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'm never going to get a better job than that. So that's where we'll go. So we lived uh, right on the beach in Carlsbad, California. And all I did was personal training, strike coaching, and you know, under the table. And uh, I taught fitness classes and that was all I did. You know, I was jogging on the beach every morning. She was working, you know, 14 hours a day and I was loving life. And then me and two other guys, Alex Higley that I mentioned before, a guy named Trip Mayhew, we actually opened up an MMA gym called 1099 Fitness, which started being pretty successful. You know, it was a lot of fun. We got some good trainers out there, some really, really, really good professional strike coaches. We were doing the gambit of classes and everything. And then... My wife, her plant in California was closing, so they were going to promote her and send her to the headquarters building, which is here in Minnesota. So I kind of, you know, sold off my my share of the gym, which ended up closing down anyway because Trip moved to Hawaii and Alex opened his own gym. We moved here, and I was like, well, maybe I can look at opening a gym, getting some investors, and seeing what's what's here. Maybe I can do it here. And from the research, it's not very popular here in Minnesota at all. I think there's like one or two Muay Thai gyms in like a 50-mile square radius. And it's, you know, people like the cardio of it, but the actual traditional learning how to do the fight style, it's not really popular. So I was running out of GI Bill because that's what I was doing for work as I was going to school. And then ITT Tech closed down. And then Burhan was like, hey, Mike, I could get you an interview out at Optum. I was like, you know, I'm like, man, I'm going from owning my own gym and doing strike coaching, and now I'm going to be working sitting in a cubicle, taking phone calls and troubleshooting people's networks. But that's why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still teach them, you know, I teach them kickboxing classes out of a boutique gym in, in Minnetonka called uh, called the Marsh, and I teach some um, some hit training, some high intensity rugby training, but then I do some one on one stuff. But that's basically it, and that's basically just for fun. Sure. So here I am now. Yeah. And I'm too old for it anyway, man. I'm telling you. Right before I left California, Rolando was like, hey, man, he's, I told you the, he's a professional fighter now. Yeah. And he was like, um, and he's just a just brick and steel. 
He's like, let's do some sparring. So I threw my pads on, and I did the lightest sparring I think I've ever done in my life. And the next day, my knees were like the size of volleyballs, and I could barely walk. Oh, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm so freaking old. <laughs> this is why I stopped fighting. Yeah. yeah. The wife kind of made me. Um, I've had 18 fights. She's never seen a single one of them. Yeah. And the day I retired from the Navy, she basically made me retire from that at the same time. So it, good on me. You know, my body's right. already jacked up. I, yeah. I didn't need to, uh, to, keep, to keep going. But, you know, you do miss it. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up here? No, I appreciate the opportunity. I know we've been trying to do this for, for quite a while, and I apologize. My schedule is always all over the place. <laughs> it's always me that's canceling, believe me, or rescheduling. Really appreciate the opportunity to sit down and, and talk about what I love. So that was really cool. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a joy to interview and get to hear all the kind of little nuances of the backstory and where everything went and how one thing led to another. It's really fascinating to hear. So we'll, we'll wrap up there, and I, I want to say a, a very last special thank you to Mike Seaborn for joining us today and sharing all of his tumultuous history. I'd also like to say thank you to David Elwin for giving us the opportunity to do the switcheroo, and hopefully things are, are going swimmingly over with him and uh, Kirsten putting together a movie machine episode for us. So there you have it, folks. It's been another episode of Fightcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check us out on you know iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And then, of course, at our website, hotchocolatemedia.net. Thanks for listening. Now go forth and conquer.